Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist, Jay Carson. Here's our Ask the Politics Guys question for this week, Jay. All right, fire away. All right, it's from Kate in Chicago. The question is, what's up with banks in the U.S.? Uh, After financial system reform, are they still too big to fail? And if they are, does that mean if they were going bankrupt, taxpayer dollars would bail them out again. So, um, what do you think, Jay? Are banks still too big to fail in this country? And uh, I think that the quest, the answer is probably it depends. It depends. Okay. Uh, and it, it depends on the bank. Uh, it depends upon the mood of the public. Uh, it depends on uh, how much damage the failure of that bank would, would do. And, and there's different kinds of banks and there's different kinds of failures. Um, so I think that's why it's, it's sort of a, a complex question. I would, I would say I, I wish that banks weren't too big to fail, um, but my sense is there are, are many that, that still are. Right. In uh, fact, you've kind of gone down this road. But go ahead. I was going to say your your sense of that is shared by both the Federal Reserve and the FDIC. That's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, just this last week, they found that five of the uh, eight largest banks in the country, including uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, that they didn't have uh, what they called credible plans for how they'd wind themselves down in a financial crisis, which one of the things that's required under the Dodd-Frank legislation that was passed in 2010. And so basically what that suggests is that there's another big crisis today that the government would, in fact, need to bail them out if it wanted to avoid a complete financial system meltdown. And, you know, that whole idea of what too big to fail is, that's exactly what that means is if a bank would fail, that it would take the whole financial system down, then, of course, those banks would be bailed out. And both Democrats and Republicans are against that. So here's where it's kind of odd. Well, they're, they're against it. They're against it. Uh, in you know, in theory. Yes, right absolutely. Now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, definitely. And so the, the approach though, to this is very different now, uh, under Dodd Frank, which again was passed in, in 2010 with, with uh, on a very strict partisan party line vote, you know, all Democrats, no Republicans. It called for certain things like banks had to have high, more, had to keep more money back, a higher what's called higher capital requirements, so that uh, they would have a little more money, you know, back there in case there were a crisis and various other regulatory reforms. But right now, what's happened is the largest banks are actually bigger now than they were before. The crisis, and there are a number of reasons for that. But it makes entire, it makes a whole lot of sense, actually, if you think about it. And, and why is that? Well, as you just said, I mean, the higher higher liquidity rates, um, the the more regulation that you put on onto banks, uh, the, the bigger they need to be uh, to, to handle that. So right. I think that's that's part of. It. There's there's been a couple factors. One regulation. I think the other is technology. That has driven uh, so many bank mergers and just gotten them bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, I think, and, that, and if, I think that's that's where we we end up with. I, I would prefer the a world of of uh, smaller, more diverse banks, and that that we've got uh, that risk spread across an industry, uh, and and you know, 
bankers and decision makers there can uh, make make good decisions, bad decisions, and rise or fall. Yeah. And you've got still like an FDIC um, uh, in the background as, as sort of a insurer of last resort. So you're not risking consumer accounts and so forth. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting to me because banking, financial services, a hugely profitable industry. If you take a look at the industry-wide profit margins, they're much bigger than almost any other industry there is. It's, you know, you can make a lot of money in this and certainly a lot of banks and financial institutions have. Uh, the problem obviously comes when when they know that if they do get so big that they're going to get bailed out because they are too big to fail. So it becomes a question of approach. How do you deal with this? And, you know, we can take a look on the Democratic. It creates the moral hazard. Yes, that's that's the phrase. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you do? I think there are at least a couple of approaches. And one of them is to say, well, we will pass a law saying that we will not bail out banks no matter what. And that's pretty much worthless. You would agree, right? If Congress passed a law, I would agree because you could you would change that law as soon as you got to the point of the position where you had to bail out banks. And so then the question becomes one of well, if we can't pass a law that's worth anything about you know not bailing out banks, how do we you know keep things for a point where they they won't need to be bailed out? And the two approaches I think are really uh, well exemplified by. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders from the beginning has been calling to break up the big banks, whereas Hillary Clinton says, no, what we need is we need smarter and better regulation. Uh, And actually, when it comes to this issue, I I tend to side with Hillary Clinton a little bit, though I don't really think there are a lot of great solutions to this. Uh, I think breaking up the banks makes sense kind of on the surface, but the problem you get into is – you know, we can say, okay, break up, bake, sorry, break up the U.S. banks, but that doesn't apply to the whole world. And so then you put our banks at a very big competitive disadvantage, you know, potentially. And so that's not a great idea. And there are certain – very insightful of you. Well, you yes. know, thank you very much, you know. And so uh, while I sympathize with that kind of very simple approach, oftentimes the very simple, straightforward approach to a big problem, you know, sounds good but is not – but just doesn't work. And I think this would not be a good idea. I think the unintended, unintended consequences would be pretty bad. And so that's why I'm for better regulation, but that's a tricky, tricky thing. And in large part, it's a tricky thing because no matter what sort of regulation you put on financial institutions, they've got an awful lot of lobbying power. And even if even if a law goes through, they can chip away at it through the regulatory process when the regulations are being written. And so... It's just it's it, when you have an industry that's this big and powerful, it's tough to know how to really deal with them. And I honestly don't have any good answers to this. I don't know, Jay. Do you have any good answers? Because I'm 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 out of good answers here. Well, I, I my my go to answer in questions like this, if something's really really complicated, is let's just leave it alone, uh, let it work itself out. Uh, and sometimes, I, as I said, I think the the problem we've had is more regulation has driven uh, these consolidations um, because it makes it harder. It creates sort of an economy of scale if you're going to run, uh, run a larger operation. Um, and and I, I, I think that's, that's the issue. And, and the other thing that to, to remember, what happened in, in 2008 is, is largely a result of new, new banking products that were created. Right. 
um, things that people hadn't really thought about before, about sort of bundling these different loans. And uh, part of that is the ability of technology to create these new products and to create markets for them. And it's really, really hard for regulators uh, to get out in front of technological changes and see things in the future before they, they, they happen. Just you know, like Yogi Berra said, it's predictions are tough, especially involving the future. Yeah. Um, so the problem is you get, you get a, a, some piece of regulation, uh, put together and it's, it's like, uh, uh, generals who are always fighting the last war. Uh, you don't, you don't really see what the next big, big problem is going to be. For example, I mean, uh, uh derivative trading, um, uh, that was sort of a big issue back in the nineties, uh, that, that it resulted in some tr- tremendous losses for, for banks, uh, particularly the, the UK, uh, I think. Um, but, but it's, it's one of these things where no one had really thought of this before. Uh, so there wasn't any kind of way to regulate it uh, or, or even see it coming. So I, I think that's just sort of the difficulty is inherent with that. And, and the better practice is, um, to, to step back as, as best you can. And, and, uh, hopefully you get, you get more players in the industry and, and, um, it, it spreads out that risk, uh, too big to fail. Yeah, except, I mean, I always say that's the approach that sort of led to the crisis in, in, in 2008. You know, and in a way, I'm not trying to necessarily blame Republicans because Republicans and Democrats were both complicit in this. And I think it goes back to this idea uh, that was advanced by a guy named uh, Hyman Minsky, who's an economist uh, back, in, back in the day. He's been dead for quite a while. But anyway, uh, his, I think his key observation was that stability uh, is destabilizing. And what he meant by that was that if you go through a period of good economic times when the system seems to be working well, what tends to happen is you get more and more pressure to pull back on regulation to allow institutions to do more and more because everything seems to be okay. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't blame really so much Democrats and Republicans, and it was bipartisan in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s for, you know, releasing a lot of these regulatory restrictions, it, it seemed to make sense at the time. And and this is, you know, I think an inevitable kind of trend, which is why I'm a, I'm a little less of a fan of things like uh, uh, more kind of complex regulation because uh, smart people who make a lot of money are always going to find loopholes. I'm more for kind of broader things like higher capital requirements, which are Maybe depending on how you write them, a little harder well, that's to easy. Gain. Yeah, you know, at least they, they can be easy. And but again, I think no matter what, the problem is is when you have a, an industry that's worth you know countless billions of dollars that's applying that's that's a, applying continual pressure to the political system to ease regulations. Well, especially if times are good, those regulations are going to be eased. And so, you know, I think it goes, I think, you know, I I hear, I hear where you're going with this, but I I have to say, you know, so much of the 2008 uh, crisis wouldn't have been changed by, it wasn't a matter of regulations were loosened and then therefore they, they did this. It's a matter of, there were a lot of people committing outright fraud. Uh, Many of those people were, were consumers, (laughs) who were participating in what in the banks, you know, charitably called liar's loans, uh, where you could just walk into a bank and they would say, would you like a loan? Sure. How much do you make? And you just make up a number uh, and they would take your word for it. Uh, so there were, there was, there was fraud going on in that front. There was fraud going on uh, in, in 
places where people bundled these and misrepresented the value of, of these mortgages that they were selling. Yeah, I think I think uh, in a lot of cases is bad judgment, and I, yeah. I, I think it's one of those the fraud thing. Well, we've presumably already regulated against it. The bad judgment. Well, that's that's a tougher thing to to regulate against. Yeah, I, I totally I totally agree because there was a lot of bad judgment, but part of it I think a lot of it makes sense because so many people didn't have what uh, what some bankers call skin in the game. You know, it used to be right. when you took out a loan, uh, you took out a loan with a local bank, and if you couldn't pay back. The local bank was on the hook for that. But with securitization, those local banks could just go ahead and sell that loan to be bundled off somewhere else. And all of a sudden, they didn't care. Somebody else's problem. Exactly. Yeah. And so as long as it's somebody else's problem and that, you know, that that was that was the major issue. And so if we can if we can create a system that make sure that people are responsible for the stuff they do. I think that's the fundamental issue. And you know, when you get really into the real weeds of kind of real kind of nitpicky sort of regulations, that's the stuff that I think isn't as useful because that kind of stuff can be gamed. And so the key thing is making sure that people are responsible for the decisions they make. And that, that I think needs to be the fundamental issue. Dodd-Frank tried to do a little bit of it, but I don't think it went nearly far enough is, is my feeling. And people being responsible both in the lending and the borrowing part of it. Well, I'd see. I, I, I would disagree with that. I I, think, yeah, I'm sure you're going to disagree with me on that. But because I think there are it's, plenty of people who it's it's not a matter of the the bank came and uh, put a gun to their head and made well, them uh, no. borrow this money. Of course not. But if you go to the bank and, the, and you know and you say I'd like to get a house and your banker says, well, tell you what, you can actually get a much better house. And it's perfectly safe and okay, and don't worry about this and that. And in a few years, you can just refinance. And people say, "Well, I don't know. It's the bank; they should know what they're doing," you know. And so, right? But I've 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 had those same conversations, and I said, "No, thank you." You're, but Jay, Jay, you <laughs> are so terrible. much. You're you're so much more well informed than most people. So I think it's a, that's you're, true. And I think this is the big flaw in most libertarian reasoning: is most libertarians are really really smart people. They tend to be smart, well-informed people as a group. I, you know, I think they're they're uh, a really interesting group, but they tend to think that everyone's like them, and they're not. Most people, you know, at least half of people, right, are below average in intelligence, and so you know, the the type of uh, limited regulatory system that would work in a society that is filled with smart and rational people doesn't work in our society because we don't have a society filled with smart We're and rational people. We're just too people. damn dumb. You know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, this doesn't apply almost certainly to politics guys, listeners, because we are smarter than the average person almost certainly and yay for us but you know we need to think about that half of the half of the country that is going to be taken in by this not necessarily because they're dumb but because they're ignorant or they're overstretched or what have you and so forth so you know that's where i find a huge flaw in libertarian reasoning basically in deregulatory reasoning i don't know fair enough and you know something that in, in as we, we close out this i should point out that as much as everyone hated uh, the TARP, that was the, the bank bailout. Troubled assets refinancing plan, I believe. It was, yeah. Something like that. Um, uh, it, it, it actually it worked pretty well. I think it actually turned uh, a little bit of a profit in the end. It just took a while. Yeah. I mean the money, the money got paid back. Um, and, and again, people there, – there was, there was an upset because it's – this is one of those things like – uh, that it it uh, fails in theory, uh, but it works in practice. Right. Um, so you know, sort of the I think both Republicans and Democrats 
uh, have have plenty of ideological reasons to say we ought not to be bailing these banks out. But from a practical standpoint, uh, that's it, it worked. Um, yeah, I mean, we, the- we on the the Sunday show we talked about Alexander Hamilton, and I would think if if Alexander Hamilton uh, were here today, he would have been a tr- huge uh, proponent of the TARP. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and, uh, and it's also curious, I mean, looking back in, in history, you we just talked about uh, J.P. Morgan um, or his company. Uh, you know, J.P. Morgan, uh, as, a, as a personal, as an individual, uh, stepped in and bailed out yeah. a lot of these banks during the Depression. Um, you know, the, the idea is that the system needs to have liquidity. Yeah. And when we say bailout uh, – Sometimes that's that's sort of a misnomer. It's not just simply, uh, hey, someone else is going to cover your debts. It's it's a matter of uh, uh, liquidity yeah. to keep money moving through the system, which which is what it needs to have. Yeah, and I, and I think you know the that kind of relates to a point that always bugs me is the sort of the demonization of greed on Wall Street. And President Obama is one of the people most guilty of this. And I, you know, I'm generally a fan of President Obama, but on this issue. Think saying about you know all of a sudden we just had these greedy bankers. No, I mean that's bankers have been about as greedy as they've been you know throughout all history, and so it's not like they're you know, less good individuals or something. I think it's about you know incentives in the system, and so I don't blame these people for working within the system they have. It's it's the job of the political system to create an incentive structure that doesn't allow people to do things that are going to damage society as a whole for their own personal benefit, and we have not done that to the extent that we should. So it's a failure not of the financial system. This is the failure of the political system. Hmm. Well, I'd, I'd add, I would add in closing, um, you know, we also have this sort of un- unfortunate, well, it's, it's just human nature that, that we resent those uh, whom we depend upon. Sure. Uh, and I think that's, you know, anybody who, who's had like, you know, whatever, teenage kids, um, if you look at, uh, you know, Western Europe and our, our defense uh, of Western Europe, um, you know, it's one of those things. That it's 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 a it's a it's a problem because when you have someone upon whom you depend, it it necessarily points out your own weakness. Yeah, uh, and people don't like that. And and banks are a big part of that throughout American history. Um, so much of of our country's history, for for the most of it, the primary industry is agriculture. And still is in many places. Yeah, and and that's heavily dependent on getting loans up front. Um, and and so we we've, we've developed this this uh, distrust of banks, uh, hatred of banks that goes way way back. Um, and again, we're talking Andrew Jackson. We're we're talking um, uh, da, 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 uh, William Jennings Bryan. I mean, again, this this goes on and on and runs throughout our history. Banks are always an easy target because uh, we need money and they got money. Yeah. But you know, so, I, I mean, I, 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 that I, I wish that were different. Um, I'm not making an argument for or against uh, the banks. I'm just saying we ought to recognize uh, that human nature. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree entirely. I think. But I think that the problem that a lot of people have is when you take a look, for instance, the, uh, the industry-wide net profit margin for uh, banks is just over 24%, which is higher than 
anything else, essentially, except for, believe it or not, the tobacco in 2015. Um, but, of course, they're expanding into international markets where, you know, there aren't those laws against uh, smoking. But the point being is that when you have an overall uh, business-wide profit margin of just over 6% and you have such a huge profit margin for banks and financial services, people are saying, well, wait a second, we're being taken advantage of. And I think they're right. They are being taken no. advantage of. I, I think I think they absolutely are, but what, but what are I don't interest rates currently. But but I'm saying, but I don't blame the banks. I don't blame the banks. I blame the political system, you know, for allowing this to happen. Essentially, that's that's my problem with it. So, uh, I, well, I was going to say my final thing was closing, but I, I do have to get in sort of a parting idea. Go right ahead. Shot. Um, well, you know, look, just because a a, a company offers a service and they make a lot of money off of it. Uh, doesn't mean they're bad. They, that doesn't mean they owe you a refund. I'm not saying they're bad. Uh, I'm, no, if, no, if I, you, we agree on that. You get, if you get what you pay for, um, uh, you know, then the company makes a lot of money on that, has a great profit margin, well, more power to them because then they're going to offer more of that, what you want, what people want. Uh, I, I just, uh, I, I don't like the, the class warfare aspect of this. Oh, or, gee. Uh, well, they're making a lot of money, so uh, I, I guess we ought to get a get a cut of it. That, that, no, you shouldn't. Well, I, I would. Uh, I'm sure we we could definitely go on for a while with this particular argument, but I, I mean, I see what you're saying, and of course, I think you're entirely wrong. But that's okay because I've learned to be okay with a lot of things. You're entirely wrong, <laughs> Jay. As you have with me, right? So well, and and again, well, time will tell. And uh, absolutely, you know. absolutely. Well, anyway, uh, I think that that pretty much covers the question. Uh, when you say so, Jay, and more, I probably. Think so, yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Ask the Politics, guys. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any questions for future episodes or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. Our Facebook page where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week and where you can join in is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And finally, if you like what we're doing and you want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a couple of bucks, the price of a Stanley 4-in-1 magnetic bit pocket screwdriver would really help. You'll find donations. Unlike links. the big banks, we make absolutely no money. That's that's right. That's very our profit <laughs> we have a margin. Completely yeah, we, negative profit. Yeah, we margin. have a negative profit margin at this point, no question. So if you're interested, you'll find donation links on our site. That's politicsguys.com. Ask the politics guys. We'll be back next Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.